I'm not ready to sell. This is my baby. I don't want to sell it. Might there come a point? No. You know, we don't make corrugated gates and sell them all over the world. We sell fun and life and crack. You couldn't sell it. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. If you've ever wondered who is responsible for those big, green, garish tourist buses, the paddy wagons that crisscross the country, well then we've got your man. This is The Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs who've unleashed themselves onto an unsuspecting world. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright, and today I'll be talking to Cahill O'Connell, the man who calls himself the High King of Paddywagon. You can see in the mirror, you can make them laugh or you can make them cry within five minutes from talking about the famine to singing Danny Boy. Coming from a well-to-do family which had a chain of pharmacies, there was a path that Cahill was expected to follow. I wasn't meeting the grade to become a pharmacist and of course that was very disappointing as their eldest son. Uh, thankfully I didn't manage to do it because uh, there would be no paddy wagon if the I had got those bloody A's. <laughs> but in the pursuit of his driving passion, there were some bumps along the road. It was a little bit scary in the year 2000 when you get a call in the middle of the night from the media in Belfast, the Belfast Telegraph, to say how was I going to react to the fact that two of my coaches were ablaze in the middle of the city. Today, there are 60 buses, hundreds of hostel beds and a new idea taking float. Cahill, lovely to meet you. Um, is, is it Cahill or is it Charlie? Well, if we're dealing with uh, foreigners from America and Australia where they find it difficult to pronounce the Cahals and the Siobhans and the Neves and, and the, the Tigs the tigs of this world, yeah. it's just easier for everyone's sake to go with Charlie. And uh, But then again, when I'm dealing with the uh, Irish people, Cahal is fine because they can all deal with it. And do you, do, you, do you answer to Charlie just as readily now or is there still a little light bulb? I answer to a few more things than Charlie, I can <laughs> assure you. I've been called a number of different names, but uh, uh, Charlie will uh, will be answered to all the time, yeah. And listen, the, the, the leprechaun on the side of the buses, has he got a name? No, but the leprechaun is very significant. It just shows the difference. I mean, Everybody uh, knows our buses simply because of the leprechaun and the name. I mean, a bucket of paint and a, and a little bit of imagination just transformed, you know, tourist travel in Ireland, you know, because everyone knows them. But he kind of encapsulates the, the personality of the brand. He fits the bill. He's loud, he's brash, he's daring, he's a little bit cheeky and he has a lot of asthmatas. And is that, is that an extension of your, your own personality? Completely. Colin? Yeah, was yeah, that deliberate? The whole thing, I mean, it's, it's like most companies, um, the personality of the guy who set it up is generally to be seen in the way it's run and operated and the little bit of roguery that goes with it. Were you always a bit of a rogue? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, trouble from start to finish. And that's what your parents say? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the thing about it is, uh, you know, a, a harmless messer. Okay. But, but, take with, but, but with always with that little bit of uh, wanting to get on and uh, make a go and... Not for money, really, but just to win, trying to win. Yeah, but I mean, take us back to those kind of years when parents really start to kind of worry or wonder about where their kids are going oh. and uh, what kind of uh, an experience you gave them. Well, I mean, I suppose my parents uh, set up, a, had a pharmacy business here in Dublin, which they sold back in the early noughties. And I suppose I wasn't meeting the grade to become a pharmacist. And of course, that was very disappointing as their eldest son. Uh, thankfully, I didn't manage to do it because... Uh, 
I, I couldn't bear being were on you, a sunny, so, a sunny day like today in giving out tablets to no. people who are all sad and it's all sunshine outside when you can be out with those beautiful blondes from Queensland down <laughs> at the cliffs some more. But were you sad at the time? Were you kind of frustrated at the time? Of course I was. Um, I, I mean, I, I did three leaving certs. Uh, the first one to get into college and do my degree and master's. And then I had to go back to do uh, chemistry and biology twice and I needed two A's and I didn't get them. Thankfully. So Thankfully. I went off and travelled. A lucky the escape. The greatest escape that ever happened. Believe so, me. There would be no paddy wagon if the, I had got those bloody A's. <laughs> well, huh? talk to me about that journey you went on then and where you're... Well, uh, I went on then and I went and I did um, a, a three-month um, Cordon Bleu um, cook's course. So I became a qualified cook. And I thought, you know, I was going to be the next Gordon Ramsay or, you know, Heston Blumenthal. And it didn't really happen. When I went looking for jobs in Sydney on the first leg of my trip, I discovered that there's no experience, no job. So I ended up washing plates. And I'll tell you, it was the greatest training I ever got because it taught me I never want to wash plates for a living again. It's the hardest number ever. And then about six months into the job in, um, in, in Sydney, um, the assistant chef was put in jail for uh, reasons I won't discuss here. And I managed to get into the kitchen and uh, get a few months experience. And I was coming home and I decided to stop in South Africa and I was doing a safari tour. And it was a, a backpacker safari tour. So every one of us had to cook on our night. And the boss happened to be driving it. And he said to me the night I cooked, he says, you can do this. And I says, yeah, well, I've worked in a restaurant for six months. And he says, look, I have an upmarket tour. I need a cook driver. And the other guy will be the mechanic driver. And I said, I can't drive a truck. I said, I've only driven a Toyota Corolla at home. He says, you're in Africa. I'll teach you in a couple of days. And he taught me on a beach how to drive a truck. And then for nine months, I was driving uh, trips around Mozambique, Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Botswana, and just living the dream. But they were camping every night. They weren't paddy wagon tours, were they? No, no, they were. They were um, paddy wagon style, I mean. They were more outback type tours, you know, going to watering holes, looking at animals every night. Different clientele. They were more Swedish and Danish and Europeans traveling down that way rather than what we get up here as Aussies and Americans. But it taught me that there was no going back into an office after sleeping under the stars in Africa for a year. It just wasn't going to happen. So we had to continue the dream. And the way to continue the dream was come back here and get a leprechaun and call it the paddy wagon. And where can you sleep under the stars here? You'd be surprised. <laughs> you can always find a way. There's a lot of little star spots in Killarney National Park, I can tell you. So you came back with that bit between your teeth that you were going to start doing well, something. Well, I came back with an idea. Yeah. And uh, I said to my dad, uh, I'm going to go out and buy two buses and I'm going to start this. I had very little money. And he said, he, he got his accountant to approach me and his accountant said, I have two bus companies on my uh, books. None of them make any money. He says, there's no money in buses. So, I mean, the, the whole thing was to put me off. And uh, I decided, I had my model in my head. I said, if I can get 20 people on the bus at 200 quid a head, that's four, four grand a week. My costs are two grand, so I'm going to make money out of this. And was it South Africa that gave you a model? Or where, where did you get your model from? Uh, I think it was more mostly South Africa. I did see, as I drove around Australia in a car, I saw a lot of the tours as well. And I did a tour in New Zealand. Um, a Kiwi experience tour. I've done one of them. Yeah. I've done an Oz experience. Yeah. Tour, yeah, so the same sort of a thing. And um, there was nobody really at it when I came back. The market was wide open. Uh, Ireland is a destination for backpackers, and it really was that time. 
The hostel scene had improved no end, and it was just a matter of driving my car around, coming up with my route, little exciting numbers, seeing where they'd stay, and making sure then to... Our model is a little bit different. I mean, all our drivers sing, tell stories. They're constantly uh, entertaining, you know, bring the clients out for dinner at night and stuff like that. So they're on all the time. They're always performing. They don't have to be on once they finish driving, but a lot of them like to be on because, you know, there's benefits in bringing a group of 30 out for dinner. You know, you'll be get free dinners and drinks and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's kind of a, a tour whereby they get to like their clients. Their clientele is very interactive. When I started, it tended to be a younger clientele. With Elegant now, we also do the uh, the older ones as well. So you've got um, both got markets covered. A royal mix of everything, yeah. yeah. So w- w- when it comes to finding new drivers, is it a bit like X Factor? Well, it's 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 almost impossible to get them because there's only so many in the country. So I, what I'm going to have to do now coming into the, um, the autumn is set up my own school of bus driving and show that there is a great living. You can earn a lot more as a bus driver than you can as a school principal. But people don't have the, don't know this. People don't think of it. Don't think of it. Okay, the work is hard, but you're interacting. It's all year round. We're an all year round business. You know, most people think the tourist season here is from uh, the beginning of June till the end of September. Completely untrue, because with all the deals going on during the winter, you know, we're rammed. But you're looking for more than just bus drivers, aren't you? You're looking for entertainers. Well, we're looking for characters. And if we can't get them, we train our staff in the offices and in the shops who can get on the bus and guide while there's a, a more... A quieter driver, if we put it that way. Listen, let's let's go back towards the beginning again because you had the vision, yeah. uh, and you were looking for the the support to to get going. Um, your family thought you were a bit mad. You've shown them otherwise. Correct. Um, you know, did was there any point at which you kind of thought maybe they were right and that you uh, you shouldn't go with it? Well, the first two buses I bought, I knew nothing about buses. That was my problem. I had zero mechanical knowledge whatsoever. I knew all about how to get clients. I knew where the market was. I advertised on a TNT magazine, which was free in all tube stations in London. It was costing me a grand a week, which was very, very expensive Mm -hmm. at the time. And for the first 10 weeks, because I bought two bangers, I paid three grand each for them. One would go on a six-day north tour and one would go on a six-day south tour. They'd meet in Galway on a Friday and we both come back from Galway on, a, on the Saturday. So it was a, a Monday to Saturday. For the first 10 weeks, both buses never made the full journey. And on the 10th week, the two buses made it to Galway and we were celebrating because we said, surely it'll go back. Next thing was one broke down in Lockery on the way back. So I was thinking that time, look, maybe I can just have one bus myself, one big bus myself, and just go up to Wicklow and charge every 20 quid ahead. And I nearly changed my plan, but thank God I didn't. But you, were, I, I invested in two better buses, right. took a risk, and um, and that was the start of the success. By when I bought ten-year-old Mercedes buses, because Mercedes don't break down. Right, quality counts. Well, quality, uh, it's the, the the badge is important. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So you were in there driving from the get-go, is that oh, yeah, right? Yeah. I drove constantly for the first five years. Constantly, every week. And that's, during that time, you still would have the one bus going north and the other going south? Well, but year two then, um, once, once we got the system correct and, and the right gear on the road, uh, the second year I had five buses by the beginning of March. So week one, we were full. And we were full constantly. Now, you wouldn't get away with that today. I mean, if you were breaking down week in, week out, you'd be quickly all over TripAdvisor and you'd be yeah. out the door. That didn't exist that time. We were able to get away with clean murder. And plus, because we were characters uh, and we were, the people were enjoying their time, 
who couldn't enjoy Ireland like. Uh, the word was getting around. It was word of mouth. Much different. I mean, there was barely an internet there when I started. You talk about the character that's involved, uh, the leprechaun on the side of the bus. Uh, it's going to make some Irish people cringe because it's not the image that's... Um, a lot of us, or some of us, I don't think it makes them there. cringe. I think it makes them jealous. Jealous that what yeah, they, the, one, the, the, one, the, the ones that find it cringy are the ones that are jealous, begrudgery. But I don't find that for the most part. I think the Irish uh, love the idea. I mean, people wave at us when they're passing us by. You know, they say, "Oh my God, there's the paddy wagon." I mean, if I got a euro for every picture that was taken of my buses at the cliffs of Moher or different places, I'd be a very wealthy man. So, I mean, the idea has definitely, I mean, it's a national brand. If I said to some people say to me, what do you do? I say, uh, I drive a bus called the Paddy Wagon. They all know it. Yeah. You know, course. so that's, uh, I mean, that in itself is, um, uh, you know, a fairly good achievement. Is there anyone else out there right now trying to kind of mimic your personality? And Well, there are other companies out there trying to do it. All of them, uh, the owners of all of them worked for me. So they were all trained by May Fain. So uh, they're good operators. Uh, the majority of them has succeeded, not to the same extent, um, but uh, I mean, they've done well. Uh, imitators, not innovators, but you know, a good imitator is important too. And uh, competition healthy for the market? Very healthy. Competition increases the market. Uh, the, the gang that are out there are, are good at what they do. And uh, yeah, so we have a good banter and we get along, so it's fine. But uh, you know, is the brand kind of in tune with how, say, for example, Board Fulcher was trying to sell Ireland overseas no. for, for a long time? I think Board Fulcher um, would have seen us as um, kind of a rogue element and not the Ireland that they want. They would see Elegant Irish as the brand. I mean, so at the moment, we're Coach Operator of the Year, right? Irish Coach Operator of the Year. We won that at the gala dinner. But really, the reason we won it was for Elegant. There is no way they would have given that award to Paddywagon. But because Elegant comes under the Paddywagon company, Paddywagon was the winner. So it has to be the board falsche, coach operators of Ireland's number one guy. Have they not come around to your way of thinking, though, that there's the space in the market for all kinds of personalities, be it elegant and hmm. a bit more kind of in-your-face and cheeky? I think they have. But, I mean, the in-your-face and cheeky was kind of a bit garish and a bit scary to them in the early days. I mean, now if you get on a, a, an Aer Lingus plane, you'll see our, we're, we're advertised in Cara. You know, we're not afraid of the market. And the market is there for both. I mean, there's a load of Spanish students around who want to go and see places who could never afford to do it the board way. And, you know, I mean, the cruise ships coming in, I mean, I that market, like, the cruise ships were hiring tours for all of their passengers getting off and people were paying 200 euros to go up into the middle of Cork to Blarney. And I brought in a model where you can do it for 50 and now most of the cruise ship passengers hop on a paddy wagon or an elegant and the amount of ships coming in has increased by, you know, magnanimously over the years. So, people would have been getting ripped off. But I mean, is, is that your selling point, price, or is it also the personality, or is it a kind of a mixture of both? A mixture of both. That you get value for money, you have mighty crack, we'll bring you to the best pubs, the best music, uh, you know, you're not going to be ripped off, and uh, it's a bit of both. Um, a bit of vibrancy with the driver, a bit of the little nod and the wink, and, uh, you know, the, you're going to be on something colourful. It's, you know, enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, some people might wonder, is, is is the personality kind of sometimes a substitute for service or? Uh, well, you're going to get a little away with a little bit more if you're a bit entertaining. You know, uh, if people are having an entertaining tour and the, the hotel room isn't just quite right, 
you'll get away with it. But if the driver, if the driver's doing the job and he's doing it with a little bit of sparkle and they're enjoying it, you can see in the mirror, you can make them laugh or you can make them cry within five minutes from talking about the famine to singing Danny Boy. You can play, you know, you can bring them in, into this area where they're in their subconscious. You nearly have them in a trance down the back. And uh, of course, the driver generally has his mirror focused on the mm. best looking girl on the bus. <laughs> so he's only looking at her. You remember that well, do you? Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to impress her, you're going to impress everyone else as well. I, I guess the key thing, and the thing you've learned is that personality doesn't cost anything. You've, and you've no. either got it or you haven't. You've, you, yeah, you can't learn it. Now, you can teach a fella the facts and he can get, you know, he can be a very good, solid guide. But it's that little bit of sparkle. So the fella who goes onto the bus and as he gets on, he just presses that little switch in his mind and he says, showtime. And that's it. He's on the stage when he's driving that bus down the road. Yeah. And the better he is on the stage, the more he has the customer in his hand, the more they're enjoying it, the more they'll go on all the trips that he wants them to go on where he might be getting looked after. But also the green paint, the leprechaun on the side, that paint job probably didn't cost you any more than a boring coach tours paint job. Same uh, price. But I mean, what, what, how that happened was um, when I came up, when I said I was going to call um, my bus company Paddywagon 20 years ago my sister was a doctor and, uh, and her best friend in college was an artist and she said can I can I put together the, the, the logo and the brochure and I said you can and she she physically painted we painted it with a paintbrush the early ones because we had no money to spray paint them and she did up the stickers and we that's and the logo has changed very little over the years it stood the test of time that's a sign of a good logo and that leprechaun is still there and it's endured and spread itself elsewhere well, it's in, we have it in London too, but I mean, um, it spread itself. I mean, in the early days, uh, going up the north was a bit of a challenge with a leprechaun and a green bus. I mean, it, it didn't represent both sides of the community and I paid dearly. I had four buses torched up there. So I uh, then decided to paint two of them orange. Yeah, two, two of them orange yeah, for, for balance. Tell us more about that experience, because I mean, that must have been quite the, um, well, the milestone. A, it was a little bit scary in the year 2000 when you get a call in the middle of the night from the uh, media in Belfast, the Belfast Telegraph, to say, how was I going to react to the fact that two of my coaches were ablaze in the middle of the city? And it was scary, and uh, I had to deal with some of the elements up there. And, uh, you know, so in, in Belfast now, we deal with one side of the community with the black taxis and the the um, the extracurriculars. And in Derry, then, we deal with the other side. I mean, um, you have to play the game. And, you know, we put Northern Ireland, I, I, I would say there's a certain amount of credit, because when I started off, nobody would go across the border. And they were scared and there was no one at the Giants Causeway and there was no one in Belfast. You can't get a room in Belfast today. Well, you, things have changed dramatically. But I mean, you're saying, changed. is it still a bit kind of scary to do business Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, at the minute now, the Dark Hedges has been closed off by the locals and they would be the Ulster Scots. And they, I think they find it a share of difficulty with the fact that every bus pulling up at their lovely road with the Dark Hedges is coming from Dublin. And all the, the all their area is making money for people from this side of the the, the border as such. So yeah, there would be a little bit of an element, yes. Mm. And talk to me about... You the wouldn't find that element in Killarney now. The boys in Killarney are with open arms. Come on in, lads, and they're trying to get you on horses and carts and you name it, and they, so the, they know how to do so it. So the, the peacekeeping activities extended to uh, painting two of the buses orange? Two of the buses orange. But an uh, orange man on the side as well? Ah, uh, no, we still kept the leprechaun, but we gave him a, a, a slightly different look. And, um, you know... It was fun at the time and it, it was noted, but um, 
then, you know, we things changed in the north. In the early days, I mean, I used to bring the uh, the backpackers into Besbrook um, British Military Station. And, you know, they used to find these things uh, intimidating, but also an experience that they'll never forget. Yeah. I mean, what was it uh, about the, the kind of the Kerry crowd that makes them so good with, with um, you know, welcoming tourists with open, open arms? I don't know what it is from... With Kerry, Galway, Clare, the West Coast, the Wild Atlantic Way on that level, I suppose they have more experience in dealing with tourists. Uh, they know how to uh, treat them properly, how to get the maximum out of them. I mean, a good American coming out of Killarney thinks they've had the time of their life. They've seen everything. They've been welcomed so much and they've had their wallets emptied and they don't even realise it. And that's the beauty of Kerry. Why are all the tourists in Kerry and not in Donegal? Maybe because the boy in Kerry just knows that little bit better how to do it. But listen, you're talking about empty wallets there. Uh, and that's something that we, you know, certainly in the pre-crisis times had a very bad reputation for, yeah, yeah. was gouging. I agree. I agree. Has that changed? Have we learned any lessons? I think we're, we're uh, with the prices of accommodation and all of that, we're, we're, we're right up there again. Um, I was reading an article on the paper there at the weekend where the ninth most expensive city in the world to have a pint of beer in. I think that the world has moved on a bit. I don't think we'll make those same mistakes again, but uh, there's an element of it. I think the boys in Killarney are, or in Kerry or places like that, they aren't gouging it, no. But they are, they're providing a service that is worth the money. Whereas the Temple Bar, can we say the same about it? I'm not sure. What you're, you're getting value for your book in, in Kerry and you're having a laugh. Yes, you're getting emptied, but you're getting emptied mm. and you're enjoying it. Uh, more, more value than a seven euro pint or whatever. Exactly. And, and you days. know, the boys do have the Blarney. Like, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and the, you know, the people coming away have, have had an experience. There's no doubt. It's about the experience. That's the bottom line about it. If they go away happy. They're going to send more over. And 99 out of 100, you won't please all the people all the time. But if you can please the most of them, no bother whatsoever, they'll be back for more. But what's the worst customer you ever had? The worst customer I ever had. Uh, oh, God. I've had interesting customers. Let's not go to the worst one. OK. I had, I've had some difficult situations. One year I was driving a bus and I had a social worker bringing a girl around who had just had her eyes removed through cancer. And they, the social worker went up the top of Blarney Castle and had been given the wrong tablets in the chemist shop that morning. She had epilepsy and she took an epileptic fit and she had to be steamrolled off, airlifted off the top of the castle and was hospitalised for a couple of days. Meanwhile, I'm left with this girl on board the bus who can't see and is only newly blind, has no eyes. And the one thing she wants to do is go horse riding. And I thought nothing of it. We, 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 we booked our groups into horse riding and I, I told the horse riding school that I have 10 for horse riding. And when we rocked up, he said, I can't take her, she's blind. I can't take her, I have no insurance. How could I tell this girl her whole dream? Wasn't gonna come true. What did you do? Um, I managed to get it done. <laughs> Sorry, I got emotional there. Because it's so away? I told the guy that if he didn't do it, he'd never see us again. And I managed, he took her by the hand, but. Because uh, when it's right, it's right. Yeah. Well done. So that, there you go. That's the paddy wagon difference. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah. done.
Fascinating stuff, Cahill. Uh, stay with us because still to come on The Architects of Business, I'll be asking Cahill about how Paddy Wagon found another pot of gold in hostels and in other parts of the tourist industry and how Cahill manages to find any time for himself. You're listening to The Architects of Business on Jove in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at joe.ie. So within a few years, you had how many buses on the road? Ah, oh, well, it was growing at a rate of uh, knots in the early days. I mean, we were doubling year on year. I mean, it was, um, you know, went from five in the second year to ten in the third year. And the demand kept increasing and the private tours kept coming on. And, you know, there was... People wanted to go on a paddy wagon. They didn't want to go on a white bus anymore. And you started getting tired about ferrying your customers to other people's businesses when they got to the end of the line. I started getting tired of seeing invoices at the end of the month for large amounts of accommodation. And uh, at the time, of course, we were going through the boom here. Uh, But I I decided, well, why give the customer to somebody else? Why not um, build the hostels myself? But when I started uh, the business, I had the dream of that before I started yeah, get the customers and then get the buildings. So I did and I started, the first one I bought was in Gardner Street. And um, uh, we, I turned it into a, we have 156 beds down there now between the two buildings. And of course, Dublin took after itself because it was a very popular destination. And then as we ferried around, we, we built hostels or we, we, we turned buildings into hostels in Belfast, uh, Derry, uh, the Dingle Peninsula, where we have a pub called the Randy Leprechaun. Uh, we, we have a hostel in Clarny, Cork. The only place we didn't really get one was in um, Galway. And is, you say that with some kind of sense of, of loss, do you? I do and I don't, because just in 2005, I had bid a 5.1 million for a hostel in the middle of Galway, and I was beaten. And I remember I was getting married two or three days later, and I was very upset about it. By God, three years later, was I the happiest man that I didn't buy that hostel? I bet, yeah. yeah. Five million. What year are we talking about there? 205. 205. I think you made a wise choice. And, and then the bus, you'd have picked it up for two. So, you know, but, but, you know, you, you have to take the good day with the bad day. You have to fail to win. And, uh, but the, the accommodation market then became a very vibrant. They were all in major places that people wanted to go to. And, uh, yeah, we fitted them out and... We get our backpackers and people who are independently travelling into the hostels. And then there's obviously other kind of logical extensions. You've got a few uh, souvenir shops. and. Well, then the next thing we did was a lot of our customs started to change from um, backpackers. People, the young professional today doesn't want to stay in a 10-bed dorm like we did when we were travelling around the world because we'd no money. They want to stay in a B&B room. So I built a a 10-bedroom thatched lodge in a County Kerry called Inspiration Lodge and um, a number of more upmarket um, accommodation centres and at the minute now we're bringing a cruise ship into Cork we've just got planning permission to put a a 100 bed uh, Rhine cruise ship on the the banks of the uh, right in the middle of Cork City on the River Lee Uh, the planning was granted by Onboard Planola last uh, week and we've permission to put a tall ship like the Jeannie Johnson uh, she's an 18 bed uh, uh, she's an 18 uh, bedroom uh, five star tall ship sitting in Antwerp at the moment trading as a hotel and she'll be moving over to the banks of the river Liffey as an accommodation a bespoke accommodation centre in Dublin because that's what the market de- uh, desires something different why build a hotel do it on a boat well absolutely there's stay not much space on, for stay hotels stay on a ship 
Will it still be five star? Four star. Four star. But right. it'll be quirky. Uh, the um, you know we'll we'll do it a little bit the paddy wagon way. We might even paint it green and put a leprechaun on it. Is it challenging to kind of service both markets as no, well? To have your personality in one and maybe less personality in the other. No, it's challenging having nothing to do. If you keep challenging yourself, coming up with new ideas, that's why fellas like me keep going. The problem is for for entrepreneurs if they don't have the next idea ready to roll, they're st- they're not business managers. They're creative people. Mm. You have to manage the business as well. But I mean, you th- some managers are better at doing that. It's coming up with new ideas. I mean, people said to me when I said, I'm bringing a tall ship into Dublin, you're out of your head, you know nothing about boats. Get someone who knows Well, you didn't know it. much about buses to, to start with, did you? nothing about buses. Yeah. But I'll be an expert in boats very quickly too now. Yeah. You. What about, you know, when it comes to kind of putting your, your stamp on the map and, and, and getting transformations underway of, of buildings into hostels? Um, you know, the, the, the planning system has been in the news so much recently about, you know, what it did to that data centre in Athen Rye. How yeah. do you find it for yourself? Planning here is a disgrace. Um, I put in for planning for that ship in Cork two years ago. And it took two years to get um, planning permission from Cork County Council, Right. But when you get permission from the council, people can still object. We had an objector and uh, a serious objector. So he was saying that there'd be no room to park buses where the boat was going to be docked, etc. We'd be a nuisance to traffic. And I knew uh, my, my uncle was uh, uh, in an authority where he could find out about people in Cork. And we found out that this guy was a bit of a gangster. So I arranged to meet him to see what would appease him on, uh, and maybe he could remove his objection. He asked me for 100 grand in cash. So, I mean, the planning system, then you have to go to onboard Planola and it could take another year. And by the time, literally, the ship has sailed mm-hmm. and it's too late. So they need to speed it up. What happened down there with the data thing was crazy. I mean, the amount of jobs that could have been created, it is a nuisance. I mean, you know here when you start a project and anything with planning involved, you're three to four years down the road before you get anywhere. What's the problem, do you think? It is that... Is there too much power in, 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 in individuals as opposed to the system thinking about the greater good? the system is afraid to make decisions. Um, anything that involves the state here is very slow. Uh, they need to go from, you know, if they make, if, if for instance, like I'm discussing how much I'll pay uh, to have the boat parked on the Liffey, right? So they say maybe 80,000 and I say 40,000 and we agree at 60, but they have to go back to the committee and the committee have to discuss it and they have to talk to somebody else. And by the time it all comes back, we're six months down the road. Whereas in the private sector, I'd have made my decision. The thing would be ready to roll in three weeks and away we go. It's time. They don't see the passage. I mean, we'll be dead before we get They're the They're not as energetic as you are. Well, they have to start getting and doing it. And that's what that's why I suppose that we're that I'm sitting here and the other entrepreneurs are is because we get things done. And that's simple. Uh, you know, has your energy waned down through the years? Because you're what's it, 20 years in business? now? Yeah, yeah. No, I think the enthusiasm is still there uh, and maybe in a different way. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, the next idea the keep going and uh, keep the sparkle and you know, it's still as good as ever. What are your days like? Wonderful. Well, I mean, just take me through your average day. Well, I get up at about seven in the morning and uh, I'm immediately on to the girls in the office because we get an awful lot of emails overnight because the Americans. Mm-hmm. So um, I might have 150 emails, pricing jobs to answer first thing in the morning between seven and nine o'clock. 
go to the gym, then go into the shops, walk around the shops. Might spend a couple of days of the week going around the hostels in the in, um, down the country and um, also following the tourist trail because you have to watch what's going on, see what the competitors are doing. So it could be away, could be uh, over in Spain getting buses fitted out. I mean, they just don't arrive on uh, and like ready to go. You have to go and decide what kind of seats, what music system, toilets, etc. So that all takes time. Um, and like we've so many little things on the go that there's never a minute that there's... Um, Phone's always on. How I mean, you talk there about pricing up jobs or pricing up, you know, giving quotes. I mean, how hands-on are you still with that part I price of the every business? Job. You price every, every job. Every single job. Because, well, it's your money. Because I know what I can extract from the customer. <laughs> so, for instance, if you want, if somebody wants to go to the Cliffs of Moher uh, today, you'll, I'll know, for instance, if they're coming off a cruise ship, I'll know if they're coming off the Celebrity Eclipse, they have loads of money. Whereas if I know if they're coming off the Princess Royal, they have very little money. So you have to judge your client and charge accordingly. It's like, you know, it's just the way it is. And so I will get a feel for my client. I'll get a feel for what they need. So what hotel standard, the hotels that will fit this group. You know, some people want four star hotels, but they don't want them in the middle of the temple bar because they don't want to hear the noise. Other people want four-star hotels and they want to be bang in the middle of the temple bar. So you get the feel for your client and experience is the only way you can learn that. Plus, I know exactly, like, depending on the vehicle they want, they might want a a Mercedes car, they might want a 60-seat bus, they might want to stay out for dinner, you know. And are you giving them value for the higher price? I am. Or do you ever sell the same tour to two people at different prices? Oh, yeah, you would send the same tour to different people at different prices. But, I mean, uh, that's judging your market. You know, uh, you, I'm sure you can you, you can go into two different supermarkets and get the same product at two different prices as well. So that's that's market, uh, and that's you have to see where the money is. But I mean, what we will give is we will give them a great service. Uh, at the minute, there's no way that I can fit in or fulfil all the demand we have. Private groups coming all the time. You know, I probably have on a Sunday here in Ireland. I probably hire in forty coaches. Forty on top of that, because you've got on 60 top of the vehicles? sixty. The 60 would be out on tour and we would need four. We might have 20 buses going to Moher on a Sunday. 20 going to the causeway. That's 40 before we even talk about going anywhere else. So uh, we'd be hiring in and we'd have certain companies where we'd hire in. But I mean, you see, that's only two days of the week. The rest of the days we wouldn't be hiring in or during the winter. So people say, why don't you buy more buses? You'd be sitting looking at them mm. then, you know. So you have to judge. It's it's all about judging. Have you not got yourself a deputy who's uh, schooled up in, oh, in I, making these kind of decisions as I well? Have, I have many generals, absolutely. Most of whom have been with me since the start. Who are all out driving buses today because of the shortage of bus drivers. So every time they stop, they're flat out on their phones. Because I might take in four private tours for tomorrow and they're thinking, where will we get the drivers? How are we going to manage they're the generals. You call yourself the High King, isn't that right? Well, you see, at the beginning, we saw ourselves like a Celtic clan. Us little rogues who everyone uh, was worried about in the tourist industry going around with these green buses. Chancers. And every Celtic clan had a High King. So I was nominated as the High King of Paddywagon and the name stuck. It's better than calling yourself the CEO anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's boring. Too many CEOs, you know. It's all, at the end of the day, it is a business. I didn't set it up to make money. And that's probably why it succeeded. You didn't set it up to make money? No, I didn't. I set it up because I wanted a lifestyle for myself. I didn't want the traveling around the world to end. And the best way I could keep it going was to do this. And 
because I enjoy doing it so much and because it was different and everyone thought it was mad, it succeeded. Very few businesses make a profit their first year. It well, did. that's true enough. It yeah. did, even though every uh, all the buses were breaking down for the first three months. But give, give me an example of something you did, uh, you know, a decision you took where profit wasn't the motivation or maybe somewhere where you sacrificed profit. I never sacrificed profit. It, there's an old saying, it wasn't for riches or rewards, it was for the glory of seeing the business succeed. And it was about being successful. The riches come with that. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it makes me happy when I stand and look at five or six buses and think at, at some venue and think, well, one day you started that with just one piece of crap and you made it work. And it, it, it's not about the bank balance. It's fair the sense play, of achievement. Fair play to you. Two fingers up to everyone else. <laughs> You've created a, a phenomenal uh, enterprise, you know, touching so many corners of the tourist industry. Um, have you attracted any kind of attention ever from, from potential buyers or suitors? Yeah, we've uh, had a number of people um, um, interested. I'm not ready to sell. This is my baby. I don't want to sell it. Might there come a point? No. It's, t- it's too much of a fun brand it's got personality. It's got, you know, we don't make corrugated gates and sell them all over the world. We sell fun and life and crack. You couldn't sell it. Think what would you do? Will you be passing it on to your kids? Yeah, they love it. And They're involved. Do you see in them the kind of the same entrepreneurial spirit? I see different uh, characteristics in them, but they, um, they, they, they love fun. The one tour I drive these days is my kids' school tour. And they just love it. And all the kids getting on the bus just think, wow, Sam's dad owns paddy wagon. (laughs) And because it has character when they're going to Tato Park or whatever it is, you couldn't sell it. It would be wrong. But how old are they now, your kids? 12 is the eldest, 8 is the youngest. So you've got... They're um, selling the fresh air. That, what, They've sold 10,000 cans. That's theirs. Yeah, it's called, the, we call it Kick-Ass because they're Anna, Sam and Sean. So they've got Kick-Ass Limited and they sell um, fresh air. They said they have vending machines in all my hostels and coffee machines. And they're, we're, we're bringing them into the business mode. My dad did it to me. It's no harm to let them learn. And they go in and fill their machines. They go in and buy their chocolates in, de- in deals every Sunday, fill their machines and... So, wow. And they sell like hotcakes. Now that's mentorship, isn't it? Well, you know, I have to give them a chance. That's what I'm good at. And uh, yeah, they love it. And they, when we go on, when I get them on holidays, because I'm separate, I bring them around on, on my week, we go to all the places we stop on tour. We stay in all my hostels and in the other venues. They've done all of the things that the tourists would do to show them. And uh, they love it. Yeah. So at 12, 10 and 8, that's a, a good... 15 years or so before you can probably hand over any reins, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's only bringing me to 64. That's, <laughs> we haven't started the back nine yet. <laughs> and are you sure you can keep up this energy for that I long? Absolutely love it. Be scared if I didn't have to keep it up where I'd end up. Okay. Cahill O'Connell, thank you very much. Thank Lovely you very to much talk to you. Thanks. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us today on The Architects of Business. Thanks to, to our guest, Cahill O'Connell, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the production team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. You can go to their website, eoy.ie, to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't forget, you don't have to miss out on future editions or indeed past shows of The Architects of Business. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. While you're at it, you might as well have a listen to some of Joe's other podcasts too. They include the Hard Yards on Rugby, the GAA Hour, and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs taking a bite out of the food sector from East Coast Bakehouse, Chopped Salad Bars, and the man who put Tato Park on the map. Do join me then. Bye-bye. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.